Hello, welcome to Typewriter Talks. This podcast features interviews with writers, poets, and other bookish folks. My name is Maureen McDowell, and I am the founder and executive director of Keep St. Pete Lit, which is a literary arts organization based in St. Petersburg, Florida. On Typewriter Talks, we discuss all kinds of writerly topics, hoping to show you that there is not one right way to be a writer. Today, we are happy to welcome Craig Pittman. Craig is a native Floridian, a best-selling author, a podcaster, and an award-winning reporter. Born in Pensacola, he graduated from Troy State University in Alabama, where he was mud-raking, his mud-raking work for the student paper prompted an agitated dean to label him the most destructive force on campus. In 40 years as a newspaper reporter, he has covered a variety of beats and quite a few natural disasters, including hurricanes, wildfires, and the Florida legislature. After 31 years at the Tampa Bay Times, he now writes a weekly column on environmental issues for the Florida Phoenix and is co-host of the popular podcast, Welcome to Florida. He is the author of six nonfiction books about what he calls the most interesting state, including the New York Times bestselling, Oh, Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country. He's also the author of Cattail, The Wild Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther, which Gardening Gun Magazine named one of the 20 best books of 2020. His most recent one, published in 2021, is The State You're In, Florida Men, Florida Women, and Other Wildlife. The Florida Heritage Book Festival named him a Florida literary legend in 2020. In 2022, he was given the Rachel Carson Award by the Sierra Club, and he lives in St. Petersburg with his wife and two children. Welcome, Craig. Thanks. So let us know what you're working on right now. Um, Well, I uh, just um, signed a contract for, uh, I guess you'd call it the State You're In 2 Electric Boogaloo, uh, (laughs) which is a, a new collection of uh, my columns and some of my freelance magazine stories that have run in the last four or five years. Uh, so that'll be coming out in 2025. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. How's that feel? Uh, great. Um, I'm, I'm happy that they're, that they wanted to do it. Uh, and also I have a book proposal that I'm working on, uh, for a book about pythons, um, and, and, uh, how they have sort of become the snake that swallowed Florida. Uh, which I think is is just a fascinating subject. So, tell us uh, a little bit more about that because people that are listening from other parts of the world, which we have people listening from fifteen countries, can you explain a little bit about the Python? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, there's uh, I've written two books on native Florida species. I wrote one on manatees called Manatee Insanity. I wrote one called Cattail about the Florida panther. Um, but this one would be about an invasive species. In other words, one that's not supposed to be here, and yet here it is. Um, these py- Burmese pythons, which are these snakes that uh, I think the largest one they found grew, grew to 17 feet long. Uh, and they're in the Everglades, eating up everything that they encounter. Um, they've actually been uh, the reason why about 90% of the small mammals in the Everglades have vanished because the pythons ate them and, and they were like house pets right people bought yeah them and, then and, them. and initially they were they were there because somebody had one that got apparently got too big and they so they turned it loose in the everglades um i actually interviewed the guy who found the first one uh in 1979 
who's a park ranger. He was out on a date with a, another park ranger, a, a temporary park ranger. And they were coming back from the date in Miami and they were out on Ever, uh, Alligator Alley late at night. They had the brights on because of course it's very dark out there. And they saw this thing lying in the edge of the road that they'd never seen before. It was 11 feet, nine inches long. And uh, this guy slams on the brakes, jumps out, runs up, looks at it, and then starts dragging the carcass back to the car. And his date said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to take this home and skin it. And oh she said, God. not with me in the car, you're not. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll come back for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Yeah, wow. there was... There was no second date. As yeah, you can imagine. <laughs> I love Florida. Oh, I love Florida. Wow. But now, you know, now there's, there's thousands of them out there. And every year the state has this, I guess you'd call it the Python bowl where they have a contest to see who can catch the longest, who can catch the most of them. And they give them big cash prizes. And then they, they, you know, Florida's the only state in the nation where we have professional python hunters who are working for the state and go out on a regular basis to hunt them down and kill them uh and they get paid based on the size of the snakes that they bring in and it's just it's just a wild thing i i the, you, if you become a python hunter you have to take a class in order to become certified so i took the class and oh um uh repeatedly throughout the class the teacher said listen when you when you catch one of these snakes and kill it it's not like any sort of other hunting you might do. You have to be holding the snake. You have to have it right up next to you, and you use a bolt gun and fire a bolt through its head, and that's the humane way to put them to death, and that's the way you, you need to do it, and she goes through this, you know, this whole course, and at the end of the course, she says, now, does anybody have any questions, and the first question was a guy who said, yeah, what kind of shotgun do we use? <laughs> She said, again, it's not like regular hunting. You're not firing from far away. You're right there with the snake. You can't use a shotgun. <laughs> There's nothing else you can do with them, right? Like No. It's not like they it's not like you can take them back to Burma. I mean, you know, it's Yeah. And and the irony is they're actually an endangered species where they're in their native country because of so much uh landscape destruction there. But they're wow. thriving here. <laughs> wow. You didn't have that in your bio, though, that you were a python hunter. <laughs> I am not. I am not a python hunter, but I went out with I went out with a pair of them, two women who live here in St. Petersburg, and they run a, a dog grooming salon during the during the week. And then on the weekends, they go down to the Everglades and they hunt pythons. And I went down with them one time and we spent, you know, like seven hours driving around in the middle of the night looking for these pythons and we didn't see any. Um, and we passed by another, another one, a guy who actually has a reality show on TV about him hunting pythons. And he said he hadn't seen any either. And so at the end of the night, I said, wow, I'm really sorry. We didn't see any, see any pythons. And they said, oh, you want, you want to see one? Hang on. And they open up the back of the, the truck we're in and in a locker that was right behind where I was sitting, they open the locker and there's this white cloth bag and in the bag is an eight foot python that's been riding around all night <laughs> right behind me i had wow. no idea it was there <laughs> wow wow so back to writing yes <laughs> this, is all, this is all tied in with writing though yes this, florida is your muse yes yes it's the gift that keeps on giving yeah. i will never ever run out of florida stories to tell ever <laughs> i i understand being born and raised in generational florida family i get it yeah 
tell us about your writing process. Do you get um, a, do you get like an idea for a story or does a well, character appear? You do mostly nonfiction, correct? I do mostly nonfiction with the, with the, I have a real set pattern with the column that I write every week for the Florida Phoenix. Uh, I try to have an idea by Sunday night and start noodling around with the, the opening. You know, if I can be kind of jokey with the opening, I figure that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then get into the serious reporting on it uh, Monday you know, making phone calls, talking to people, and then um, try to have a draft finished by Tuesday night. And then uh, the, the deadline is Wednesday at noon. So I spend Wednesday morning, you know, punching it up, putting in more uh, corny, corny puns and uh, dad jokes and uh, yeah. obscure, obscure pop culture references and um and then turn it in and the editors look it over and so usually it's all done by the by you know four or five o'clock that afternoon and then it posts on thursday morning so um the the one i did um back in uh the one i did last week uh was one about jumbo lair which is this central florida um um community i guess you'd call it for people who own gigantic private planes like Boeing 707s. John Travolta is one of the residents. Wow. And uh, it used to be an elephant sanctuary. That's what the name refers to. It was a lair for jumbos. Um, and the current owner, current developer, wants to expand it from about, it's 38 homes right now. He wants it to be like 450 homes with an accompanying number of airplanes. Uh, and the people that want that. Yeah, wow. well, and the people who live around it, you know, it's 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 near Ocala, it's horse country. They all have horses and they're mm -hmm. freaking out because the horses flip out whenever the you know airplanes and helicopters go over. So it's a it's this huge fight going on in the middle of, of Florida, and it's not like anything that's going on anywhere else because you know the the county people are saying we're concerned about the traffic, and the neighbors are like, Yeah, we're concerned about the traffic too, especially the air traffic. <laughs> that's what oh, yeah. we're really worried about. Yeah, my uncle has property in Floral City, and and I, I guess it's on the flight route, or maybe mm -hmm. this is that. Well, I think I don't know if that would be this. <laughs> I don't know if this would be this community, but it, you see planes flying over all the all the time, and it's crazy. Like this beautiful sixty six acres he has between that and the airboats, it's like noise pollution. Yeah, 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 that happens. But I mean, we've got we've got these quirky communities all over Florida. There's uh, now Crest, which was started by. Uh, members of the National Association of Letter Carriers in ALC. So it's all retired letter carriers who live what? there. They, I love they, it. they, and there, there are no dogs allowed. <laughs> oh my, that's that, that almost sounds like a joke. It's like, not though. It's, I've been I, that's, there. I love Florida. <laughs> I know. And, and there's no mail delivery. Everybody who lives there has to go to a, their, the main postal facility and pick up their own mail. <laughs> so they still feel connected kind of to the i neighbor. guess yeah they don't trust they're, outsiders right and uh <laughs> uh there's casadega which builds oh, itself yeah. as the psychic capital of america it's supposed to be more psychics that live there I've than anywhere there. else yeah. um um sweetwater which was founded by a troop of russian circus midgets whose bus broke down <laughs> and uh more recently has filled with nicaraguan refugees uh i mean it's just it's it never ends all this 
all this wild and crazy stuff that happens here. Well, so yeah, I, I'm a Hubbard and my grandfather was in the carnival and they would winter here. And that's, mm -hmm. he, he used to have dolphins pinned up off of Shell Key, Patty and Michael, the porpoises, they're, wow. they're dolphins. Yeah. And would charge people to come and, and see these two dolphins. <laughs> Just that's, crazy. That's awesome. Well, and of course there's Gibsonton. Yeah. The home of all the, all the uh, circus freaks, you know, yeah. that, um, and, and circus performers. And it was, uh, you know, it was so famous. It actually became a, an episode of the X-Files called Humbug. One of the best ones, in fact. Ooh, my kid, you know, believe it or not, I have a 17 year old and he's watching X-Files. And I just watched an episode and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. Like Scully in, inspired all these young women to go to school for the sciences. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> See, art, art, art influences life as well art as imitates life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, tell us how your writing process has changed over the years. Um, gosh. Um, I guess the biggest change is I used to try really hard not to sound very... Um, quirky, I guess is the right word. I mean, I was writing a lot of news stories. And so, you know, trying to kind of tamping down any sort of individuality, any sort of voice in those things in order to strive for that, you know, that very well modulated news tone. But then when I started writing books uh, and the first book or two were still in that same mode, but with the third one, uh, which was The Sin of Scandal, Greed, Betrayal, and the World's Most Beautiful Orchid, uh, I realized I needed to write it differently than the other than my previous books because it needed to be set up like a like a mystery mm -hmm. and so i purposely wrote shorter sentences and a uh, more active voice in those sentences and also tried to end each chapter on a cliffhanger um and then continue you know sort of continue the the plot immediately with the the opening of the next chapter so and and i realized that's a that's actually a pretty good way to write anything yeah. Um, but, uh, really doing that really made me focus a lot more on, um, uh, the, the voice that I was using in writing these books. I mean, I, I, so I don't, I don't show up as a, as a, in person anywhere in the sin of scandal, except right at the very end. And even then I was kind of muted. Uh, but in, in my next book, Oh, Florida, I several times said, I do this, I did that, you know, things, things that I had observed and was writing in the first person. And I think that adds to the, uh, you know, to the, to the flavor of the book. If people can say, Hey, this is his experience and I'm seeing it through his eyes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. More personalized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I did that with, with cattail as well. I mean, it, it, that one, it, that one was not so much my story, but I had to tell about, you know, meeting people or, or seeing things. And, that was a great, uh, book. that was a great book. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, so as far as like um, your ideas for stories, do you have like a list of ideas that you were like, that you refer from or like, is every week you're like, what you kind of scour the headlines how do you get that i mean you know florida is the gift that gives on giving but yes how do you how do you find the topics for your columns and yeah um, um I, I have subscriptions to a lot of florida newspapers and i try and read uh read through them every day 
you know, they send email newsletters saying here are our top stories. And so I'll read those every day. But a lot of them, too, are people just contacting me. The Jumbo Lair story mm-hmm. came from somebody in that area who was upset, contacted me and said, help us and told me what was going on. And I said, who else should I talk to? And they told me. And uh, and I, you know, I read through the uh, planning documents and so forth and and realized that this is a great story and nobody else had written it at that point. And so I really jumped or on heard that. about it. I mean, it's such a yeah. know, thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, the one that ran today is about ocean acidification and how that's one of the little known symptoms of climate change and how that's hurting the shellfish industry. And, you know, with Florida, meanwhile, has leaders who, you know, put their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 anytime you mention climate change. And so I was arguing that, you know, they need to, they need to be more reality based and, and focus on trying to help these poor folks who are having to deal with the ocean turning more acid, which is making it difficult for shellfish to form their shells. And if you do that, then, you know, the seafood industry goes away. So it's, it's also, it's great because it, you're at, you're not only educating, like you're av- you're an a- activist, yeah. it's a form of activism, but it's also a form of you're educating people but then you're also showing, you're also creating this kind of empathy and connection for our awesome state, because if people connect with the state more than just like a piece of real estate, yeah, and yeah. you know they'll want to help the environment and they'll want to they'll want to invest more. The hope is. Mm-hmm. So- I, I did a I did a column I think it was last year about uh, how it's really important that you get kids connected to the environment in Florida and and that that should be part of our educational system. Uh, it's not, but there are places where they're trying to do that. Um, there's a thing in Hillsborough County called nature's classroom. And every, I think it's every fourth grader in Hillsborough County goes through nature's classroom, spends a week out there. And it's a, it's just a great program. And I was saying, you know, the reason I love Florida's environment is because of things I learned about Florida when I was a kid, when I was, you know, my dad was taking me hunting and fishing. I was going canoeing and camping with my boy scout troop i'd go wandering in the woods behind my grandmother's house and that's sort of where i got this appreciation for the bounty that we have here in florida and then and then um everybody in my family loves reading murder mysteries and uh you know my grandfather was a big fan of earl stanley gardner my mom loves agatha christie and when i was 14 my uh my great aunt um having seen that I was reading, you know, Sherlock Holmes and, and Raymond Chandler, she took a big drag on her cigarette and turned her palm all and said, I think you're ready for Travis McGee now. And she had a, <laughs> a John D. McDonald book. I think it was deep, deep blue goodbye. The first Travis McGee book. And I, it's scantily clad woman on the cover. I'm 14. I'm, yes, ma'am. I'm definitely ready for that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but John D. McDonald who lived in Sarasota uh, taught me that there are, people in Florida who don't appreciate the environment and they're trying to make a a fast buck off of it. And, you know, we're, we're a sunny place full of shady people. (laughs) And those. Oh, that's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the environment is in danger from these folks because they don't appreciate it the way you do. And so that sort of set me on the path that I've been on ever since. I will tell you something we um, work in uh, we've in the past, we worked in South St. Pete, elementary schools with writing classes and we did a student newspaper with them and 
it's predominantly um, African-American communities, a lot of Title I schools, which are like lower income students. And I asked them, we asked them like, what are the top three topics that are most important to them? Across the board, environment was like number one, all three, wow. like five schools. Environment mm -hmm. was number one to clean up their environment, mm -hmm. to clean up their, to make their schools better because they were performing low at that point. And then- mm -hmm also to end violence in their community. But if also across the board, like these five elementary schools, their favorite colors are blue and green because of the environment. That's great. That's and awesome. That, and so there it's, it's like, I, it's hardwired in us, I believe to be drawn to nature. And, and I love that you're writing these stories to get people to, to empathize and realize what a magical special state this is. Sure. So, <laughs> it, it and the contradictions of it is just um you know I, even with our current government um our governor i should say to be specific i still think you know um the state is going to rebel <laughs> oh yeah yeah well i mean it already has i mean but yeah. um you know we go through this thing now where uh oh see i'm in favor of the everglades restoration that means i'm pro-environment oh but meanwhile i'm also saying yes to all these development projects that are bad for the environment and yeah. And making it harder for environmental activists to fight them, and uh, you know, but but I'm okay because see, I I I approve money for Everglades restoration, and it's like, why can't you be consistent? Why can't you be in yeah. favor of this thing that everybody loves? That one of the most inspiring and surprising things I ever saw, there was a proposal uh, to open up uh, our state parks to a lot more activities that were not originally approved there and so uh honeymoon island state park in dunedin was one of the first ones where they're going to have a, a public hearing on this idea to build big camping areas in there and open it up for rv parking and all this kind of stuff and honeymoon island is this fairly pristine beach front yeah. area and there's no overnight parking and that's part of the reason why it's and it's the most popular park in the state park system for that very reason a thousand people turned out for that public hearing and wow. I, I would say 999 were opposed to it. And the and the one who was in favor worked for like an RV park person. Wow. And wow. people were talking about if you if you try this, we will link arms and stand on the road and block the RVs from coming in there because that's how strongly we feel about our state park. Because they felt a sense of ownership yeah. with this pristine natural area. They knew it was a special thing about where they lived and they wanted to protect it. And in the end, the state backed down and they, 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 they decided not to do it. Yeah. We need more of those stories. <laughs> need more of those stories. So um, what would you tell your younger writer self? Uh, calm down, <laughs> I guess is one thing I'd say. Uh, uh, you know, I was very nervous and very agitated and put in long, long, long hours uh, on a lot of stories because I was insecure about, uh, about my writing and about the things that I was doing, uh, you know, I, um, and I was eager to be initially eager out of, to be out of journalism. I, I had this, this grand plan in my head, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that was, that's like this where, oh, I'll spend five years as a reporter 
you know, I'll start out in, in a Florida in my hometown paper and then I'll vault to the New York Times or something like that. And uh, and then I'll write the great American novel and sell it to the movies and then I'll retire and go around the world doing good. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like Kane and Kung Fu. Um, and, yeah. Uh, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> do, you, but, do you now see in hindsight that you're kind of glad that it didn't that it worked out the way it did well i w- i missed the money from the movie sale of course but you know <laughs> the uh yes, the yes. the uh uh but yeah i mean uh, it's there uh, one of the things i learned was is that i didn't there was a lot i didn't know uh you know i grew up in pensacola i didn't know anything at all about the rest of florida um yeah. and uh in in many ways sometimes didn't even think of the rest of florida as my state until I moved down here and realized, hey, this is pretty cool down here too, and started doing reading about uh, all this, all the stuff that you need to know about Florida. And my mind was repeatedly blown. I'm still learning stuff. I learned, you know, I learned um, uh, today uh, for our podcast. We interviewed a guy who wrote a book called The Hank Show, uh, and I have to read you the subtitle, which is which basically tells you the whole story: how a house painting drug running DEA informant built the machine that rules our lives. (laughs) It's about this Florida man named Hank Asher, who basically invented the way that you're tracked through computer systems. And he started um, uh, uh, auto track and he started uh, accurate. And basically the, the companies like LexisNexis, they're mm-hmm. all using the system he came up with. There's a guy who was a who was a cocaine smuggler, and you know, and then came up with this thing, this tool that that cops use and insurance companies use, and uh, every company you can think of uses now to to track everything you do and all the things you buy and all the influences you have. It all came from a guy in Florida. Yeah, we have such a bad rap, Florida, but it's just. It's just crazy. We're we we are the punchline state, but I mean, there's a lot more to us than than just that. I mean, the you know, in in you know, Florida, I talked about how the first public defenders were in Florida. The first uh, Native American gambling casino was here. Um, you know, just all of these things that uh, the the Endangered Species Act was co-created by a Florida man. Wow. Um, uh, the first National Wildlife Refuge was here. So, I mean, there's a lot of positive stuff that came out of Florida too. And things you might not, might, might not even realize are from Florida. Well, you came out of Florida and that's a positive thing. <laughs> but I came right back, honest. <laughs> well, I have to ask in your bio, why were you the most destructive force on campus? Uh, and oddly enough, I don't think it was a compliment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, because the student newspaper, we were, you know, we, we sort of took it to heart that we were supposed to be a newspaper um the dean thought we should be a pr mouthpiece for for the university and only wow. print positive stories and we were like no no we're going to report on the drug busts going on the dorms we're going to report on the state ethics commission investigating the university president for um uh, for twisting the arm of businesses that were doing business with the university to use his insurance company and wow. buy buy from you know just all kinds of shady stuff going on and um uh so the that's why the dean of the school of journalism was not happy um and so uh you know i graduate 25 years pass i get contacted by the uh troy state university journalism school and they say we'd like you to come back and be our distinguished guest 
and give a talk to the journalism students. And I said, sure, I'm happy to do it. And they said, what will be the title of your talk? And I said, how to be the most destructive force on campus. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you, that, that really like you were cut from that cloth. I mean, you're still, I mean, writing stories about the uh, kind of the shadiness of this sunshine state in some ways, but then you've, you've learned to flavor it with um, all these other topics and ways to get people engaged. Yeah. In you. You've always been an activist. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, um, I call it the spoonful of sugar method of shoveling 40 pounds of Florida history and culture down your throat. You know, just, oh, isn't this so funny? This this wacky thing that happened where a woman pulled an alligator out of her yoga pants. Ha ha ha. But here also, here's the history of alligators in Florida. <laughs> you know, it's Love like, it. while while they're laughing, their guards are down, then you can tell them all kinds of important stuff. <laughs> yeah. I Whenever I do public speaking, I always kind of start with a little bit of humor and it, it really changes the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a, and it's, it's a skill to be a writer that can tap into humor, but then also slide in some history and all these other things. Like yeah. it's really, it's really, um, you've honed your craft, but well, and, you're always still growing and evolving as a writer always. Oh yeah. And I mean, it, it even, I mean, I, I have to credit my, my parents. I, I always say my mom taught me to appreciate a good book. And my dad taught me to appreciate a good story. Um, he uh, he used to love to take me hunting. I didn't really like hunting. I liked walking in the woods and carrying a gun was an excuse to go out in the woods. Um, uh, and we would, he would take me to, to hunt. And then what I really liked was after the hunt, we would be hanging out with his hunting buddies and they'd all be telling tall tales and telling these hilarious stories and trying to make each other laugh. That was the best part of the hunting trip. Yeah. 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 So what would be the difference for, so he was about the storytelling, like the tall tales and yeah. about the literature side. Yeah. And, and, and she signed me up for my very first, uh, I mean, she used to read to me at the kitchen table. <clears throat> Pensacola is the second rainiest city in America. Really? And the, yes. And the, wow. and the, the rainiest is right next door in Mobile, Mobile, Alabama. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so we would, you know, we'd constantly get rain and I couldn't go outside to play. And so mom would sit me at the kitchen table and would read to me, read to me for hours. And then and when I was six, she signed me up for my first library card. And the librarian said, do you want to just confine him to the children's section? And she said, no, he's allowed to go anywhere and check out a book from any section. What a great mom. She, she, and she's she's still here um they invited oh, what me a to, gift. what a gift invi yeah she invited me to pensacola or, or rather the, the pensacola library foundation invited me to come up there and give a, a talk recently and i i brought her as my date <laughs> she's, oh, 80, like she's 89 <laughs> she's 89 she's a, a library uh volunteer and I, I brought her to you know basically got her to stand up and people applaud for her so Oh, I'd love that. So one more question. What would be like your elevator pitch or like lightning strike advice for other writers? Um, the, the best writing advice of all, I think, comes from Harry Cruz, another another Florida man, uh, University of Florida uh, writing instructor and author of some really bizarre novels uh, who whose mantra was put your ass in the chair. I mean, basically, the way you be a writer is you write and. Yeah you just keep grinding away at it and and eventually you'll get better at it but you you can't be a writer if you don't write so put your ass in the chair love that so let's hear some of your work okay 
Um, we'll start off with uh, the start of uh, uh, O Florida, uh, which is uh, which actually got turned down by 15 different publishers uh, before one finally said yes. Uh, and then it became a New York Times bestseller and got rave reviews from New York Times, Washington Post, etc. Um, and starts with a, a quote from uh, Roxane Gay. Florida is a strange place. I love it here, and I love how nothing makes sense. Um, <laughs> one warm June afternoon, my friend Shannon called me looking for help. She said her woman's group was putting on a luncheon for some folks visiting from another country. Each member of her group was supposed to sit at a table full of the visitors from, I don't know, Steingardistan or something, and somebody came up with the idea of arming the ladies with fun facts about Florida as icebreakers. The problem, she said, was that the facts they'd compiled about Florida so far weren't all that fun. Leading industries, form of government, and so forth. She said, I was wondering if you, you got a pen I asked, wipe and sweat from my face, take this down. In 1845, when Florida became a state, the first state flag that flew over the Capitol bore the slogan, let us alone. <laughs> she, she chuckled, aware of how ironic that sounded for a state where the economy depends on bringing in a constant flow of new residents. I told her about Achopi, the town of the nation's smallest post office, formerly a tool shed, and Carabel, home of the world's smallest police station, a phone booth, and Casadega, which has so many crystal balls per capita, it's known as the psychic capital of the world. I made sure to mention Sweetwater, the town founded by a troop of Russian circus midgets whose bus broke down. More recently, it's been a haven for Nicaraguan refugees. I reeled off a dozen oddball bits of Floridiana, but avoided the really weird stuff, the nude bikers the Wiccan clan members, the convocations of furries who throw beach parties in full costume. I didn't mention that families in the little town of Vernon became so dependent on insurance money paid out for lost limbs that people started shooting them off, which is how it became known as Nub City. I didn't bring up the allegations that both Donald Duck and Tigger grow female visitors to Walt Disney World. And I definitely did not recount for her the tale of Carl Tanzler, a.k.a. Count Carl von Kossel, a Key West X-ray musician, who in 1930 fell in love with a tuberculosis patient named Maria Elena Malagro de Hoyas. His love transcended death, by which I mean that when he died, he dug up her body and slept with the corpse for nine years until her sister found out. Put on trial for grave robbing, he was exonerated because the statute of limitations had expired. No, some Florida tales are not fit for use as an icebreaker. They might have had the opposite effect. Shannon jotted down what I told her, giggling, and then thanked me. I knew I could count on you, she said, hanging up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh, my brain. Like, I, I jumped from, like, one visual image to another while you were reading that. Like, uh, and I, I love that you mentioned that it had been turned down 15 times, right? And then it became a New York Times bestseller. Okay. <laughs> no, but I love that. Not that it was turned down 15 times, but the fact that it, you found it, it still succeeded like in a wonderful way, like for people that are listening that don't quit. Yeah. If you believe in something, keep sending it out. Keep, keep trying. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Craig, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're Hope always helpful. A, you're <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to. And um, people can tune into your podcast and read your, read your columns and hear more about uh, your wonderful Florida tales. Uh, and thank you everyone for tuning in to uh, Typewriter Talks. This is the last episode of season one. We will be back in January with season two. And if you want to know more about Keep St. Pete Lit, you can go to keepstpetelit.org. And if you like what you hear, please consider making a donation. We are a nonprofit and this would help 
to support our literary programming. And until next year, I guess, please continue to read and write on.